0: So when I was in high school, probably similar to many of you, I had a lot of different odd jobs, uh, babysitting and mowing yards. But my first W-2 job was with the great Chick-fil-A. Yes, this is actually my first name badge from my very first job. I was 15 years old when I got that job, and I realized it makes me quite a cliche, you know, started at Chick-fil-A, ended up being a pastor. I'm okay with that. We've probably all had jobs that we've loved, that were memorable, we've had jobs we didn't love so much. We've probably all had bosses that we love, I hope, but we've had bosses that we, well, shall we say, didn't love so much. We're kind of in a conflicted relationship with our work. You could probably tell me many stories of some of your best days on the job, some of your worst days on the job, I'll give you a few for me. So one of the tough jobs I did was I was a carpet cleaner. Or right out of undergrad for a little bit. And um, when you, you know, knock on the door or ring that doorbell, you have no idea what you're about to get into. And I'll be kind, I'll spare you the details, but sometimes you show up and there's really not a whole lot you can do. Um, the only solution is to replace the carpet and, and maybe the, uh, the padding as well. In some cases, the subflooring as well. There's just, as a carpet cleaner, there's only so much you can do. We're thinking we can clean this for you, but it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. There were some tough situations that we got into where it was, it was pretty gross, to be honest. Had some tough days in the job. One was uh, in college. I was an intramural ref and uh, I was refing football, which was not, that was not my main sport. Didn't understand the game quite as well as other sports. And so I was a line ref and I had flags and I had a whistle. It was pretty rare that I would actually need to blow the whistle, but on one occasion during what happened to be the championship game, during a very important play, I was supposed to simply throw the flag, which wouldn't stop play. We would deal with it after the play, but I accidentally blew the whistle. and As soon as I did it, I realized, because everybody just kind of looked at me, and it was really bad. It was a bad day on the job. Uh, I've had a lot of good days on the job. I know you probably have stories. We have an interesting relationship with our work. We enjoy our work. It can be meaningful. It's a very good part of our lives. And yet, work is also kind of a negative term. It's a hard thing. We're very conflicted. And yet, it's a significant part of our lives. Especially when this morning, I want to challenge you to expand your definition of what we mean by work. By work, I don't just mean the things that you do, you get paid for, but we work in a lot of different capacities. We do work inside our homes. We do work within the church, within the community, in the marketplace. We do work that's volunteer, work that's paid. There are all different kinds of work. There are many different ways that we cultivate the earth that God has given us. We all work every day. We never, we don't have seasons where we work or don't work. We're just working in different Ways. It's a big part of our lives. And in fact, it's part of God's design for us. In the opening pages of the Bible, the author of Genesis tells us that God worked. That the work of creation, it is called that. It is work. God worked when he created the earth. And then he told Adam and Eve, you're to work. You're to be fruitful. You're to multiply. You're to go into the earth, to subdue it. You're to cultivate this creation that I have given you. You're to steward it. That's all work and work can be meaningful and satisfying. We can take great delight in our work. but We also need to recognize that we now live in a position where everything has changed because of sin and that affects our relationship with our work. And so God said to Adam in the early pages of the Bible, post fall, cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, and from dust you are, and to dust you will return. After that moment, all of us now experience the curse of work in our lives. And so now work can feel monotonous. Can't it? any of you have a job where you have to say the same thing over and over again? I've waited tables in a couple different contexts, and I can just remember, there's only so many times that you can say, good evening, my name is Aaron, we're so glad you're here, I'm going to be taking care of you, welcome to Olive Garden. I mean, there's only so many times you can say that, where you just want to go crazy, because you know you don't actually mean it, at least part of the time. I was at the doctor's office the other day and I came in and this lady went through the whole spiel with paperwork and told me all the things I needed to do about the paperwork and where to sign and all that. So I got my paperwork and went and sat down. Another guy came in and I heard her go through the same process and say the same exact thing. And I thought, my goodness, work at times can be monotonous. There's an aspect to that probably for all our work. I mean, the dishes for crying out loud. Just every day, there's certain things that get you right? I know there are. The dishes just keep coming back. Work can be frustrating. Sometimes you feel like you're working harder than ever. You're not getting the results that you want. Work can be frustrating in a post-Genesis 3 world. I know that's how ministry feels right now. A lot of the things that we used to look to as as signs of life or the things that look to be going well, that right now those, those numbers just don't look very good. And we know that God is still at work, but from a human perspective, at times you feel like you're working harder than ever, but you're not getting the results that you want. You felt that in your work, in your home, in your business. Work can be painful. I'm I'm grateful. I haven't had to do a whole lot of manual labor in my life. I'm not very good at it. I've had a few days where I helped some people that were in construction, and I'm not sure how much help I was. But work can be painful, not just physically, but But emotionally, it takes a toll. And so as we think about work, we want to understand that our work was created by God as part of human life. And yet, it's cursed by the fall. And even more so, it is being redeemed by the gospel. If we think about our work within that framework, it changes how we think about our work, how we practice our work, the way that we engage our work. And and those kind of conversations of thinking about our work inside a context of it being good but also cursed and being redeemed. That's a very different conversation than we're used to having around the water cooler before we all worked remotely, right? Those are different kinds of conversations about work. We can get stuck in a pattern when we only focus on the good. Maybe we get too invested in our work or we only focus on the bad and we only feel cynical about our work. There's a tension that we're living in. And the author of Ecclesiastes does a good job setting up for us that tension as it relates to our work. In his grand quest, he's searching for meaning, for purpose in life, and one of the things that he comes to hate the most is his work. He feels the curse of the fall on work, and it leaves him feeling frustrated and searching for a deeper meaning and resolution. So he considers several problems related to work. The first one we could call the curse of inheritance. The curse of inheritance. The first problem is death, the realization that at some point we will have to leave behind all that we own, all of our assets, all of our influence, all our business. We're going to have to leave it to someone or to some group of people. And we have no control over what they will do with it. They could be wise. They could be foolish. They could blow it all. They could be ungrateful. They could even be unrighteous. We have very little control or it seems as though We don't. We don't know about the ones who will come after us. Let's think about the author of Ecclesiastes. We're pretty sure that it's Solomon, that it comes from his tradition. Well, Solomon was incredibly powerful, had an incredible amount of resources. What happened after he died? Well, the book of Kings tells us he passed it on to Rehoboam, his oldest son, who was a horrible leader, like many leaders in the Bible. And it ends up being this whole fiasco. I don't have time to preach a sermon on that at this time, but I remember one time Pastor Dan characterizing uh, th- these guys, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, as Ray and Jerry. And basically what happens is that they get into conflict and, and do stupid things, and it ends up dividing the kingdom. Because there was a united kingdom, and then there's a divided kingdom in the north and the south. And so all that Solomon seemingly had worked for in his life within one generation, so much of that influence and power and the unity of that kingdom falls apart so quickly. It's unbelievable how quick things go from good to bad. I think one of the lessons we need to learn from this is the importance of passing along the most important inheritance, and that is the inheritance of faith, of faith. Yes, it's good. It's good to pass along an inheritance to those who come after us. The Bible commends that even, in particular, the book of Proverbs. But here's the thing. You can pass along businesses and wealth, and you can pass along stuff to people who come after you. But if you do not pass along the legacy of a life lived with God at the center, it's all what? Meaningless. That's what Ecclesiastes said. It's Hevel. Great. You have millions of dollars. What does it mean? if you don't fear God and keep his commands, and if you do not pass that legacy of faith on to them, It all becomes meaningless. And for us today, what that means is our priority for our children and for our grandchildren is that we pass along the legacy of faith, that they will know Jesus and love him and serve him. And yet all those other things are important. We look at indicators like inflation and we talk about housing crisis and we talk about graduation rates and, and jobs and all those things. And they're not unimportant, but all of that is meaningless if we don't have the most important priority. If we do not pass along this legacy of faith. And even if you're here today and you do not have children or grandchildren, biological children, you are part of the family of faith. It's called a family for a reason. And we're brothers and sisters and you are part of the commission that we have to make sure the next generation and the generation after that have faith in God. That that is at the center of their life. That they fear God and keep his commands. It's a task that has been given to all of us as the church because nobody else is focused on that. If we don't take that task up, who will? We have this commission. And that's the thing that I want most for this younger generation, that they would know God and love him. Because otherwise, it's just a smoke and mirror show. It's all temporary. It's all fleeting. We want to pass along the most important thing that we were created to do, and that is to know God and have faith and trust in him. So having to leave it all behind, the curse of inheritance is bad enough. But there's another serious problem with work. And the author of Ecclesiastes says the work itself is a problem. It's not just what we get from it and the inheritance that we have to try to pass along, but the curse of work itself. Verse 22, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun all their days? Their work is grief and pain. And even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Consider the effort and the stress and the load that our work places on us. Again, not just the paid work, but all the different aspects of work in life. Life keeps coming at us. It's like the the whack-a-mole that I talked about a few weeks ago. It's like there's always something, and the problem is there's more than one somethings. There's some things, and it keeps coming at us. It's relentless. You don't get to go on cruise control in life. No season. There's always something new. Life is hard, and our work is very hard. It's harder than it's supposed to be. And so we lose sleep over our work because we're pushing late into the evening or we're burning it on both ends, early and late. Or even when we lay down at night on our pillow, we lose sleep because we're thinking about our work and the problems that we're trying to solve. There's an author and thought leader. I was listening to a podcast the other day, John Acuff, and he says this, you never finish the work, you just finish the day. And it's very wise, and I think it's true, but that crushes the soul of a guy like me because you've got to understand how I'm wired. Okay, so there's this thing called Enneagram, if you haven't heard of it. You've probably heard of it, even if you don't know what it is. And uh, I'm an Enneagram 3, which means I'm an achiever. And also even on strengths finders, if you've done that in any work environments, I'm also an achiever. That's one of my top five gifts, which means I like to get things done. That's just the way I'm wired. I'm energized by life. I like a long list of things to do, and I like to check them all off by the end of the day. But that's not how life works. And so we're we're frustrated. We can never get the tasks done. We can never get any rest. The the under-the-sun reality is that we spend our whole lives working to gain something that we often can't keep. That's why we need the hope of the resurrection. And that's why we need a different perspective even on this work that we do. We need to feel like our life and our work means something. As humans, we need purpose. We need hope. And that's why we need the gospel. We need good news to speak life into this. So it's interesting, suddenly in 2.24, in verse 24, the book takes a surprising turn. And without any warning, the teacher says perhaps the first positive thing in the entire book. Now we got to a little bit of positivity last week. That's because we're doing things a little out of order. Um, But as it comes to work, this is the first Positive statement in the book, 2.24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? These verses are an oasis of optimism in the midst of a wilderness of despair. This is one of the couple of places in the book that are called enjoyment passages. The similar phrasing shows up a couple of different places in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this phrase or something similar to it often gets misquoted in our culture. You ever hear people say something that's actually very hedonistic, kind of nihilistic? They'll say, well, we just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's, that's a severe misquote of ecclesiastes it's not understanding the tension that is unfolding in the book because yes he does kind of go back and forth at times he seems cynical at other times he seems positive he's just concluded that pleasure and work and all this stuff is meaningless but now all of a sudden verse 24 he says but we can find satisfaction in our toil and our work what's the difference this little phrase this too i see is from the hand of god that's the difference. His perspective changes. Because up to this point, he's been saying, look what I've done. Look at the work that I've done. All these things that I've pursued and all of this. And it's meaningless. I I, I. look at me, look at me, look at me. And now he says, well, wait a second. What if we can actually find contentment and satisfaction in these things and joy in these things? If we see that they're from the hand of God, we receive them as a gracious gift. A gift that we may have for a short amount of time or a long amount of time. We don't know. But they're a gift. And our focus is on a relationship with the giver, not the gift. God is what makes the difference. So the answer isn't necessarily for you to think about your work less. That's not always the solution. The answer might not even be for you to work less. That could be part of a corrective in your own life. I think it's for us to think differently about our work and to understand our work through the lens of the gospel, through this paradigm of it being a good thing that has been distorted by the fall and that God is redeeming. That is a very different perspective on work. This book that I've been reading alongside, uh, it's not exactly a commentary, but it's, it's pretty readable, uh, by Phil Riken called Why Everything Matters, the Gospel in Ecclesiastes. And he says this, We live in a world... That is cursed by sin but it is also a world that god created good that he has visited in the flesh and that he is working to redeem through a cross-bearing crucifixion and a life-giving resurrection our approach to everything including our work is is seen through this paradigm of attention of discouragement but also hope the tension between those two feelings is is palpable throughout this entire book, and that's how we live our lives. You guys have heard me give the illustration of the parallel train tracks of pain and hope. We often think we have days that are hard and days that are good. No, every day is a mixture of both good and bad. This side of heaven, we experience pain, we experience joy, we experience discouragement, we experience encouragement, and that is true of our Work. We feel the hard aspects of work and that work is more frustrating and discouraging than it's supposed to be. And yet we also accept that work is a good gift of God, that he has wired us for work. And so again, as he often does, the teacher concludes this section with a comparison between two paths in life. Again, there's two perspectives. And here he characterized it as the person who pleases God and the sinner. And what will happen ultimately with with our wealth, and with our work. So how do we please God? If the path that we want to choose here is the person who pleases God, how do we please God? Well, Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that's the foundation. You want to please God, have faith in him. And we have to understand that faith is more than just believing in God. It's not just believing that God exists. Faith implies not only belief, but a surrender. And an obedience of following God, of living into His ways. That is the life of faith. And so if you want your work to matter, have faith in God. Live out of that context of faith in Him. Obey Him. Follow His commands. And if we do, we'll experience wisdom, joy. In the midst of the pain and the hardship and the suffering of a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. So we've seen today we can make one of two mistakes in our approach to our work. One is that we can have an overly negative view of work. We can see it as work is just this curse, this burden, and it's just something we have to get through in order to get to our weekend. And unfortunately, many Christians I've seen have adopted that perspective Even trying to Christianize it and saying, well, you know, I work and that pays the bills, but then it's so that I can, you know, volunteer and do ministry and do the things that I really want to do. Nope, that's not it. Our work is a vital part of how God is using us in the world, because we have to understand that that God didn't just create the world and set it into motion, but he continues to work actively in his world. That's called his Providence. God is still actively maintaining and cultivating and and holding the world and sustaining it. He's still in charge and in control. And part of how he manifests that providence in the world is through us. It's crazy. And through our work, paid and unpaid, in whatever context it is, he commissions us to do work. And so in that way, we become partners with God in our work. It's his work. And it's also an important Christian distinction, distinction that we believe all work which honors God is for the good of our neighbors. All work has dignity and we don't buy into this separation between the secular and the sacred, between the people who are like doing the real work of ministry like pastors and missionaries and then all of us just ordinary Christians over here. Nope, that's not the way it works in God's economy. All work is important. There are all different kinds of jobs and even those really small ways are important to us. Without them, human life cannot flourish. We need jobs involved in organizing and creating, knowledge-based jobs, labor-based jobs, relational jobs, caretaking jobs, feeding jobs, healing jobs, protecting jobs. There are all different kinds of jobs, and they're all holy commissions from God, work that God calls us to do. Christian theology gives dignity to all work it is for the glory of God and good of our neighbors. Paul put it this way, in Colossians 3. He said, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. All our work is service to God. All our work is in that way ministry to others. All of the tasks are sacred. They're given to us by God. So we know that work will never be fully redeemed, this side of heaven. We're going to still groan in our work. We're going to still sweat in our work, literally and and metaphorically. We're groaning with all of creation for for a total redemption. Yet we can find satisfactions within the limits of this world. And the Christian gospel provides us with resources to engage in work that is inspiring and satisfying and impactful and helpful and faithful. And so I want to recommend a book to you about this topic of work. Um, it is co-written by Timothy Keller and Catherine Leary Alsdorf. In the second half of the book, they unpack four ways that the gospel changes our perspective and our practice of work. I don't have time to go into the details, but let me just give you enough of a teaser that maybe if you're interested in reading more about this topic, um, you'll, your curiosity will be piqued. So they say that the, the gospel gives us these four lenses. The first one is, is the gospel is an alternative storyline for our work. It places our work within a different story. Our work is no longer just the thing that we do to make it in the world and it's meaningless and monotonous. No, our work is important. It is commissioned by God. It falls within God's story of a world that is good and that is cursed and is being redeemed and restored. Our work is also a partnership with God. It is given to us by Him. All of our work is important. It is part of God's way of of providentially overseeing the world. The third one is it gives us a different moral framework for our work. This one's probably been more evident to people, but it changes the way that we work, how we relate to people, that we, that we show dignity to all people in all jobs, even those that we may value less by society. We honor work. We're grateful. We're thankful. The way that we relate in our ethics to people, we make decisions about business decisions that we'll go through. And sometimes those are hard decisions because we want to do the right thing and not necessarily always the profitable thing. It gives us some moral framework. And finally, it gives us a different motivation for our work. Again, then our work is not just something that, that we do to put food on the table for our family, which is important, but our work is within the context that it's a way that we serve our neighbors. It's a way that we love people. We love our community. It's a way that we serve God. So our work is not just inward, it's also not even just upward, which I think some people understand, but it is also serving outward. It's serving the people around us. We need all different kinds of people doing all different kinds of jobs. And I think as we understand our work through this framework of the gospel, we can find meaning and satisfaction in it. Yes, mixed with some frustration, but our work is important. It's good. It's part of how God has commissioned us and called us into his world. And we never stop working. All the labor, all the effort, we have this perspective that we're serving the Lord. You know, and that, some days, you're going to feel that joy. You're going to feel that satisfaction. And some days, you're you're really not going to feel like walking in the office going, man, i just really excited to serve Jesus today. It's not always going to be your perspective, but we could keep coming back because our work is too big. It's too important. We spend too much of our lives working to not think about it theologically and biblically and to allow those around us to shape our vision of work. Because I'll tell you, I just see an increasing amount of cynicism in our culture. And of course, that's going to surround things like our work. And we've got to fight back against that. We've got to think about our work from God's perspective. It's very important. So I hope we will be challenged to think more about that, to ask those questions and to think about your work, whatever that looks like, through this paradigm. It's good. Your work is good. It's hard. It's frustrating. But God is redeeming it and he is using it as part of his plan for the world. So work unto the Lord for his glory. And for the good of those around you, will you join me as we pray together? Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and who loves us and who has a good plan for our world. And Father, even as we experience the frustration and the pain, God, I pray that you would make us, shape us, work us into people who are good news people. And a big part of that is how we work. And how meaningful work can be in our lives. So would you redeem work for us? I don't, I don't know where my friends are today. I'm assuming there's people in the room that are going through all different kinds of frustrations with, with their work at home or their work out in the marketplace. They're frustrated in their work. And God, I pray that you would redeem work by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would help to see it from your perspective. God, and do it in such a way that we find joy And we find satisfaction and purpose in working for you. Lord, work in those hard spaces. Encourage us. Shape us. Make us more like the Lord Jesus who did the ultimate work on our behalf. Who did the hardest work and effort of coming and laying down his entire life for us. God, and because of the work the cross, and the resurrection. You give us a new way of being human. God, help us to see that new way as we approach our work. In your name, I pray. Amen.